Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our series, Wisdom for Life, a study on Proverbs. For more information about CBC, go to the website, cbcsavannah.com. We have mucho ground to cover this morning, and so I'm going to be moving fast. Um, We have been in a series, we've called it Wisdom for Life, it's from the Proverbs, and where we've been looking about what does it look to live wisely. Um, Wisdom, as we have already seen, is not info. It is not Mr. Smarty Pants, I know everything. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We saw that the first week. It's a reverence for who God is. It's knowing who he is and knowing what he's done and living in light of that. We've looked at several instances of what wisdom and foolishness is. We saw last week that pride is foolishness, humility is wise. We saw the week before that, that for the wrong type of friends you perish, for the lack of friends you perish, but having good friends, it is wise, right? Today, we're going to look at another big, a big area and a big topic. It is an area that you will spend, on average, 90,000 hours of your life doing. All right, that's a lot of time. It's an area that statistics say four out of five, 80% of people are miserable doing this. That this thing is the biggest cause of stress and worry and anxiety in your life, statistically speaking. That you will, on average, 50% of you will gain weight doing this. Some of you statistically gain mucho weight all right? Okay, this is statistics. What are we talking about? What's our topic? What are we going to speak on today? We're going to talk about work. Work. Average person, 90,000 hours doing work. Just to give you a little bit of like how big that is, okay, you could go to church for three hours a week Every week for 75 years, never miss a Sunday, get the little I'm better than you because I always go to church pin, and you will still only go to church about 11,000, 12,000 hours. That's how big of a piece of our life work is as far as time. And there's a lot of confusion in the church, and there's a lot of things that need to be cleared up, and we're going to do it today because God has not designed work so it's the biggest stressor in your life. God does not want his people to be four to five of us miserable and dissatisfied at our jobs or what we're doing. That's not how he's designed it, all right? Now, the weight issue, that's on y'all, all right? You, I can deal with the other things. You just stop going to carry Hilliards every day for lunch, and I'll take care of that. But as far as dissatisfaction and confusion, we can, we can look at the scripture and see what God has to say about work uh, and, and clear some of those things up. And here's where we're going, okay? We're going to talk briefly up front, why is work important? Where did it come from? And then we're going to talk two tendencies that we tend to fall into, okay? Two extremes that are both wrong in, in regards to work. And then we're going to close and we're going to talk, just real practical, what does wise work look like? What is working wisely? What does the scripture say about just how, what should this look like in our lives? Hopefully some practical things for us that we can leave because we got to learn to connect y'all. The church has got to learn to connect Sunday to Monday, right? It's easy Sunday. Sunday to Monday is where the rubber meets the road. And so we, we need to learn to connect that, all right? So let's start asking the question, why is it important? Work is a gift. Do you ever think about that? Work is actually a good thing. It is a gift from God. Right? You go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, foundational chapters in the scripture. 
And in Genesis 1, God has created everything in, in five days or over. On the sixth day, he makes man, and he says this, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish and sea and all the things on the earth, right? Everything that creeps. And then he says, so God created man in his image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, both are made in God's image. Both reflect him in a, in a specific way, right? Both have value because of that. And there's all sorts of implications. But here's a biggie. Because you are made in the image of God, you reflect him in the way that he is a working God, that we have a God who is the original designer, he is creative, he is an artist, he is an engineer, he is a builder, he is a sustainer, he's an administrator, he is a worker, and one of the ways you reflect God is that you work, that you were created to do something. Right? You were given energy and power and ability to create. And so God says, I have created this. Now I want you to redesign what I've created. I want you to, to use this and have dominion and, and steward and, and create. And he's given us a special ability to do that. I mean, and think about all the things that have been created. Think about this. How awesome is this? All right, this is an iPhone, all right? If you have a Microsoft-based phone, that is evil. This is good. Steve Jobs was a genius. He wasn't a Christian, but he was made in the image of God, and this is a reflection of being made in the image of God. Think about how amazing this is. I can check that it's going to be 100 degrees in this room. I can check a golf scores. I can call someone. There's going to be some sort of signal that goes up into outer space, meets a satellite, which somebody launched, by the way, into outer space and into orbit and figured out how to do all that. And it's going to shoot back down in a fraction of a second. I can text people. I can check sports. I can do everything. I can FaceTime. All from this. This is a reflection of the image of God. Right, someone was creative and designed and smart and studied and worked hard right here. And think about all the things you have because of that. Who created an ice machine? Genius. Genius. Cold drinks. Cold coffee? No. Cold Pepsi? Yes. But how, how, that's a reflection of God's image. Your car, a house, this watch, coffee itself. Who's the first guy that said, I'm going to take these seeds? I'm going to grind them up, put some water over it, drink that. That looks good. I'm going to try that. Who's the genius that did that? God bless him. <laughs> what I want you to see is this is all a reflection of being made in the image of a God who is creator and designer and awesome. Right? And that's part of the deal. That's why work is important. It's a reflection of being made in God's image. Right? It's huge. It's huge. Here's the second thing, though, is we need to get is that it's not just a reflection of God's image. This is part of the design of God. So in Genesis 2, when he's recapping, he says this, there was no bush of the field that was yet in the land, no small plant. Why? Lord God had not caused it to rain, and there was no man to work the ground. He hadn't created man yet. He just had created trees and grass, but no one was working it yet. And so what does he do in chapter 2, verse 15? He takes the man after he creates him, he puts him in the garden to do what? To work, to keep it. And then he says, you know what? He can't do this alone because he's kind of a knucklehead all by himself, so I'm going to make him a woman, and she's going to help him. She's the essential counterpart, and the two together can have dominion, and they can work, and they can sustain. It was part of the design that you were created to do something, to work. In fact, he actually creates the garden so that it will not grow if Adam and Eve are not there doing something. That's intentionality there. You were created to do something because we have a God who do something. 
It does something. And understand, they weren't sitting around the Garden of Eden just kind of like lounging around. Tell, tell the rhinoceros to bring me something. Go get that elephant over there. Tell him to bring me something. Spray me down with his hose. Or, you know, I mean, that's not the way it was. This is not, for those who have kids, you've seen this, this is not Wally. All right, remember in the movie Wally, humanity has gotten to a point where they just sit around in their little chair and they have a, you know, a milkshake at all times and their clothes are changed for us and they watch TV and they just get taken around and they do nothing. That, that's not, the, the irony of that is the guy who wrote that movie was a Christian and it was not like some eco-friendly movie. It was actually showing how silly it was for man to just think that we just kind of sit around and people serve us. And what happens, it takes a little robot named Wally who's like a dirt digger and Eve, ironically, a a uh, female counterpart robot, to redeem them and to bring them back to earth. And what do they do? They plant a tree. It's the first act that they do. They cultivate because God has created you to do something, right? It's good. It is a gift. And so the question is this, why Why does it not seem like a gift? Because why are you, some of you like, yeah, and I got to go to work in 12 hours, and so I don't want to talk about it. Why are four out of five of us miserable? And why is this the biggest source of stress? And some of you are already like, great, I just got an email. I got to do, you know. Why is that the case? One word. Sin. Genesis chapter 3, the next thing that happens, Adam and Eve sin. They rebel. And God says, because of your sin, now everything has been corrupted. He goes to Eve and says, because you have sinned, childbirth is going to hurt now. I don't know what it was like before. Must not have been a big deal. Honey, going to Walmart, going to have a kid, going to go change the oil. It's going to be a big deal. Now it's a big deal. For men, he says this, Adam, okay, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten the tree, all right, cursed is the ground because of you. It's going to be hard. In pain, you shall eat of it. Thorns and thistles, sweat. This is where work becomes work. Before that, no big deal. Going in the, everyone loves to do gardening. Who wants to go cut the grass? I want to cut the grass. It's the greatest thing ever. Now, it's work. It's, it takes hard sweat and, and, and toil because of sin. Just like everything else, sin corrupts what God has created good. God gives work as a gift. He makes it good. It's awesome for us, and sin corrupts it, right? Sin corrupts it, and now, now it's work. But the big picture is this. You need to see that God in his goodness has given us work. It reflects his glory. He's given you energy and strength and capacity to be a blessing to the earth. You are to steward it. You are actually to make things better. That Christians are supposed to make things better. Hospitals, because of Christians. Most, most charities, Christian-based. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be a blessing. Instead, it's a curse. And there's two tendencies we tend to go to, and we're going to deal with these, and this is where the Proverbs comes in. Two kind of extremes where because the sin has come in, that we tend to lean, and both of them are wrong. And so we're going to go there, and then we'll talk about how to, how to redeem that. Here's the first tendency, all right, that we tend to go to, and this is where the Proverbs is really thorough. It's idleness or laziness or slacker, all right? What, what Solomon often will say, call it, he'll say, it's the sluggard. Right? It's a, that's a great word, isn't it? We don't use that word enough. Sluggard. It just sounds bad. Ooh, sluggard. No one likes slugs, right? No one, oh, I wanna, honey, let's go to PetSmart. Let's get a pet slug. Nobody does that. We salt them bad boys when we see them. We don't do anything, right? Only the sadistic of y'all do that. But it, it's, just a, it's just a negative connotation. In fact, Solomon is the only person in all the Bible to actually use the word. He uses it 14 times in the book of Proverbs. Right? The sluggard. 
Let's, let me just give you a few passages, and you guys can unpack these later and kind of go back and reflect. See what he says about wisdom in the sluggard and what that looks like here. Here's a good one. Proverbs 21. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not give back. This is where the parallelism helps you out. We have two things that are opposite, but they're being compared. Who are being compared here? The sluggard and the righteous. What does that show us? That the two are in opposition. That the, the, the lazy is not righteous. It's unrighteous. And we don't think about laziness as a big deal sometimes. When we're raising kids, I'm thinking, okay, we got the right, the right kind of girlfriends and the right kind of friends and the right kind of media, and we want to send them to the purity conferences. No one thinks laziness is going to destroy my kid, right? But what does Solomon say? The desire of the sluggard kills him. It kills him. I did a lot of Googling this week, so I got statistics upon statistics. Here's one that was very alarming to me. Last summer, 2014, right, this is Department of Labor statistics, 16 to 24-year-olds in our country, 16 to 24-year-olds, 50% of that demographic did not work. That's one out of two, 16 to 24-year-olds did not work last year. That's alarming. That's, a, that's, that's huge. We're really good at chilling and hanging out and consuming, but not doing anything, right? And so he says the sluggard, his hands refuse. Understand, please, that we're not talking about someone who cannot work, who has disability, who's you know, got physical limitations, so it does not allow them to do things. The church is supposed to help and take care of that. We are not talking about that person, okay? So don't say, oh, well, I have you know, arthritis and I can't. I'm not talking about that. It says the person who refuses to labor, that they are rebellious. They, they don't want to work, and it could be a passive-aggressive, well, fine, I'll go do it. It could be the old, honey, what did you say? I didn't hear you, right? No response, good. That's refusing. It could be the old, I forgot. Oh, I just forgot. I was, had my boys yesterday and we're doing stuff, right? And, I'm, and I you know, went and saw one thing that I asked one of them to do. And I said, he said, I said, he said, I said What's, you forgot to do this? He said, yeah, I, I just forgot. And I said, hey, buddy, let me just tell you something. It's, it's my job to tell you and it's your job to remember. And we have to do that. That's, that's part of a parenting job. Because our tendency as kids is to be lazy. It is part of the parent's job to teach them to not be lazy. And so it's not my job to go do this and to not show them how to do it. That's what I do very well, by the way. Go do that when he's three years old. And then when he doesn't do it well, I yell at him. That, that's not parenting, okay? But what we need to do is give our children tasks. Go do this. Let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to do the lawn. Let me show you how to do And teach them to own them and do them and take ownership. That's, that is our job. Because when we don't do that, because what I'm trying to teach them is, you know, you could say right now you forget, but guess what? When you're 20 years old and you're in biology and the professor says, all right, test today, you raising your hand saying, oh, sorry, professor, I forgot. That's not going to fly. When the boss says the project was due at Tuesday at, at 8 a.m., it, it's Thursday, where's it at? Oh, forgot. Forgot. When the IRS comes knocking April 15th, oh. <laughs> Silly me, I forgot. See, that's not going to fly. So it's our job to train and teach to, to not be lazy. Because what happens if we don't, what does the text say? That all day long he craves, and he craves, and he wants, 
The problem is this. God has given you all this capacity and energy and strength to do something. And when it's not going out, especially young men, this is why little boys are like, and you're like, you just want to like, calm down, go outside. They have all this energy that God has created in them to do something, to be active. And when they're not doing something productive, it gets turned back in on themselves. And it's just all about them. And their little world just becomes about them and their cravings and their desires. And this is where the seeds of addiction begin. Instead of doing something out there, they're doing it in here. And when there's nothing productive going on, it's going to go towards the path of least resistance, which is typically some kind of addictive behavior, whether it's video games, whether it's pornography, I'm just bored. You ask any young man or woman, for that matter, when the struggle of pornography is hard, it's when they're doing nothing. I'm just bored. Just hanging out. So when you're young, just sitting around, no, don't just sit around, do something to get into trouble, Right? You do so, and if you don't believe me, just look at King David. King David, when kings, in the days when kings go out to war, King David does what? He stays home. They had like, we have NFL season and baseball season, they had fighting season, all right? It wasn't during the harvest, it was in the off harvest, and they would go out, and the kings would defend their territory, and David, instead of taking his men and leading, and God's given him all this leadership ability and his warrior ability, instead of going out and doing it, he's sitting around napping walking around his balcony. He looks down, he sees a woman, he takes her, there's a child born out of wedlock, that child dies, then he takes the, to cover his sin, he goes and kills the husband and even does that in a passive aggressive way and it all rooted in laziness. So well, is laziness a really big deal? Ask Uriah the Hittite if, you, if laziness is a big deal. He's the one that died. It kills him. That's what he says. Here's another passage. The way of the sluggard's like a hedge. A thorns, but the path of the upright is level. Think about thorns. You get caught in a, a thorn patch, and you just can't get out, and it hurts. He says, that's, that's the way of the sluggard. Laziness, it seems like it's easy, but it actually is impeding, and you can't do anything. And the further in you go, the harder it is. And we're not just talking, understand about work. We're talking about laziness and sluggardness in every facet of life, right? If you are a sluggard in your finances, and you're paying, using this credit card to pay off this credit card, which is paying off this credit card, which is paying off this loan, that is a hedge that down the road, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a struggle. And so now, Larry Bouquet used to make these little, these little banks for kids. It used to have three slots. I remember it. It had one over here for giving, one over here for saving, and one over here for living. And it used to say, you give 10%, you save 10%, and you live off 80. That's a great model for the church. Give 10, save 10, and then you live off the 80, right? That, that's so you don't get into a hedge. And so if the transmission falls... You have some savings. If you get into uh, disciplining your children, teaching your children, especially between the ages of two and 10, if you don't deal with that and lead them and encourage them and, and pray for them when they're 16, when they're 25, that's a hedge. Eat your eating habits, right? Your exercise habits. We don't talk about this in the church. We talk about drunkenness. We don't talk about milkshakeness. <laughs> but guess what? If you continue to be lazy with your habits of, of eating and of, of exercise and taking care of your body and sleep and all these things, it's a hedge when you get older, whether it's diabetes, whether it's some other ailment, it's going to come back, and it's a tough hedge. It's going to be painful. Right? And your studies, you, you spend all night long reading or you know, watching some Netflix series, you're giving away money that could be scholarship money. And you got to, is this series worth 
the Hope Scholarship, not getting it. Is this series worth it? There's all sorts of things. If in your company, you're not keeping up with modern technology, you're not keeping up with what's going on, you're going to be outdated, and your, your competitor, he's going to rise. And you're still using the Texas Instrument 1977 calculator, and he's like, right? You're not getting there. Not, keep, not keeping up, making your skills better every time, being able to improve yourself. Well, I'm fine. You know, I don't need to learn anything new. Well, you're going to be obsolete, and this young buck out of, out of college who's 24 is going to work for a lot less money than you. He's going to know all these things and do it better because you're, just, you're, not, you're not pursuing excellence and getting better. There's all sorts of areas, spiritual and your purity. If you're, if you're a sluggard, there's a hedge. And so the idea is what sphere has God put in your life that you be not lazy there? That you, you pursue not laziness, otherwise it's edge. Here, a couple more, and we'll move on. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. So is a slugger. I, I wanted to bring someone in as an example and drink vinegar, but I think that would go badly. But you get the idea. Vinegar, you just smell it. It's, 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 it's sour. It's bitter. Smoke, it, when it gets in your eyes, the slugger's a nuisance. If he works for you, you got to keep cleaning up his mess. If he lives with you, he's sleeping until 1130. He's not taking the night shift and he doesn't clean up his sink and he does, right? The husband who doesn't do anything with the kids, he kind of just checks out. It's a nuisance. He said, this is my favorite one of Solomon. I think Solomon's being a little snarly here, all right? He says this, the, the slugger says, there's a line in the road. There's a line in the streets. As far as I, in my studies have showed me that, that big animals and cats are, is not a big problem in Israel at this time, okay? They didn't have an overrunning of lions and tigers and bears, oh my. That wasn't a big issue. But the slugger just makes excuses. I'm busy, can't do it, I forgot, right? I'm, if I go outside, I might get the flu, and a big rock might follow me, and my tire might blow, and it's just excuses. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a slugger on its bed, snooze, snooze, snooze. I'll do it next week, I'll do it next month. The sluggard buries, I love this one, this is my favorite. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. These peanut M&Ms are so heavy. <laughs> Help me. He sees what he wants, it's right in front of him and he doesn't even, and, it, and it's silly. And here's why, all three of them are silly. The lion, the snooze button, the M&Ms. It's silly because sin makes you silly. It makes you dumb. That's the point. It, you do dumb things. It's a nuisance. It makes you do silly things. It's dangerous. Big picture. Idleness is not, is, is not some little thing. It's big. It needs to be dealt with. That's one side of it. All right? That's one side of what sin has done to work. Here's the other side, and we'll just deal briefly with it because we talk about it a lot, and it's idolatry. That your job doesn't become a place where you glorify God. It doesn't become a place where you reflect God. It becomes God. It's the most important thing. It's, it's all my identity is wrapped up in that. It's where I get my validity. It's where I get my worth. And I think it's, it's a man and woman thing. But I know it in men because men, if, when I go up and meet somebody, it's, how you doing? Hey, I'm John. Hey, I'm Bill. What's the next thing you say? So, John, what do you do? Right, because you're sizing them up. Where'd you go to school? Oh, yeah, that's an ACC school. You want a real football? Let's talk SEC. I mean, we, we just one up. It's all about where we were. Or when we talk about our jobs, this is the best part. Four to five people say they hate their job. But when we tell all the people, what do you do? Oh, I'm to this. I just love my job. Oh, my goodness, my job is the greatest. I've been dreaming about this job since I was two years old. This is the best job in the world. I hate it, but I love it. 
right? Or we use great language to define it, right? Big superlatives. I am the regional director of a national global uh, sales corporation that deals primarily in, I work for Sears is what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> it's just fine. But it, we just make it huge. Church, the way churches do with this is, like, is how, how big we are. How big is your church? Well, we have 300 people, but I was always taught to round up. So we got, you know, between five, 500,000 folks, you know? <laughs> You know, pretty, you know, pretty big, pretty big church. We, we just make it sound better. Why? Because it's an idol. Or here's another flip side of it, it's an idol. You want to be the hardest worker because you want people to know that you're the hardest worker. And I want everyone to know that I'm going to work 70 hours a week because I'm better than them and I'm better than that person and I'm the best worker on my team. Because, so I'm the best. So it really has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with me, everyone thinking you're great. And look, you can be, you can be the hardest worker at your office and a complete jerk, and that is not good. So it's not just about being a hard worker. Because if you're an nincompoop and a hard worker, that, that's the opposite we're talking about. Or another way it could be idolatry is I work so hard, 80 hours a week, so that I can make all this money by the time I'm 48 years old and I can retire so then I can be idle. It, it, it's, it's the same idea, right? All these things. And so it's, 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 not a good, it's not a good God is the point. Proverbs says, don't toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. Suddenly it sprouts wings. Like that great promotion could be downsizing in six months. That big nest egg or that big 401k, when the, when the stock market goes down to 6,000 again, it's gone. All that money you put aside could be going out to medical bills. You, you just, your 45 years for that company is a gold watch and a 23-year-old who's going to work for a quarter of your price and he's going to come into your job. It's just not a good place to put all your, your effort and your, and your worth, right? You, you, it's, it's not something that lasts. It's a good thing. It's a, it's a gift, but it's not a good God. And so these are the two tendencies we have, either idleness or idolatry, and you got to figure out which one you, you lean towards, right? But here's, what we want, here's where I want to go. This is the fun part. Let's, how do we redeem this? Because we want to be a group of people. Look, we have an unbelievable opportunity, CBC. We have something like, and this is not exaggerated numbers, something like 800, 900, 1,000 adults that are going out into the workforce in Savannah, Georgia. That's huge. Like little ants. And we don't have to say anything. We have an unbelievable opportunity for impact just in our work, connecting Sunday to Monday. So let's talk about just four areas. And none, most of these aren't new, but most of the time we don't need new stuff in church. We just need to be reminded of the stuff that God wants us to do because we forget. So let me give you four kind of practical areas, and they're broad, and I'm not going to say everything there is to say about work today. This is one chapter in a 15-chapter book, but I, hopefully we'll get some high points and God will speak to you in some way. Here's the first thing. This is an important one, is rest. How do we redeem work? How do we work wisely? We rest. You say, that's kind of interesting. I thought we were talking about not being lazy. I am. But for some of you who where work is everything and you come home and you're still emailing and you go to bed and you're still emailing and you wake up and the first thing you check is your phone and you go on vacation and you're at the beach and you still have your iPad, you need to learn to rest. And what you need to do is you need to get you a little basket, okay, that's right by the front door so that when you come home, and I see, I see some ladies already turning to their husbands like, he can get you right now. <laughs> And you need to put that, and this is me, so I'm getting me right now. Don't, talk, don't you touch my iPhone. That's my iPhone. And you need to put this in the basket. And it needs to stay there, right? 
you do not need to be available at all hours, unless you're on call, okay? If you're an emergency room doctor, you can keep your pager on, please, okay? If you're a ranger and you're on call and you need, you can keep your pager on. But everyone else, you're not that important. You do not need to be available at all hours of the day for all people. If you try to call me on Friday, unless you're a close buddy, you're, you're, I'm not gonna answer. I'm just not, right? I'm not that important. Unless there's some kind of emergency, you need to get away. You just do. It is biblical. It is good to rest from work, right? And I'm not a Sabbatarian. I'm not like you can't go to eat on Sundays, that you can't mow the lawn on a Sundays. But the principle of the Sabbath where God creates in six days and rests on the seventh, it's not because God was tired. It's because he is teaching you something. You don't need to work seven days a week. And if you think you're being really good and really, you know, you're not, you're actually sinning. You say, well, I'm single. I don't have a family. It's not whether you can do something. It's whether you should. It's, it's, you need to rest. And rest looks different from all sorts of people. I'm not saying that you're Okay, for some of you, it's going to be resting. It's going to be sitting on the couch watching golf. Some of you, is going to be mowing the lawn. That's restful. Some of you, going to the outlets is restful. That's like overtime for me, but that might be rest for you. <laughs> but whatever it is, you need to disengage from work, and you need to rest, right? And there's this, and this is what I always get when I have to tell somebody about this. Well, my ox is in the ditch. You know, because in the Old Testament, if your ox was in the ditch, you could get him out on the Sabbath. Here's the problem with that. Some of y'all's oxes are in the ditch every day. And if your ox is in the ditch every day so that you never have a meal with your kids and you're, you're worshiping with us once every four weeks, you need a new ox. You need to, you need to put that bad boy down and get a new ox, Right? Because he's a bad ox. He's like a Yugo from the 80s ox. That's what he is. All right? Because it's not good for you. The most spiritual thing that some of you guys could do this afternoon is take a nap. That is the most holy thing some of you could do. It's to go to bed on time. It's for you to let your wife, here's a big one for your husbands, to let your wife go out with the girls one night and you take care of dinner and cleaning up the dishes. How do you like that, ladies? You can thank me later. Because your wife needs rest. Because she works 180 hours a week and you work 40. Right? That's the reality. And so just whatever rest may look like for you, you need to do it. It is a holy thing. It is a good thing. You know another one? You need to learn to say no. Some of you. Can you do this? Well, it's my day off. I'm supposed to be with my kids and my family. Yes, because I'm a Christian. Sometimes you need to say no and guard your rest. You know what Jesus did with his disciples? His ministry galore. All these people need Jesus. He gets these 12 guys and he says, come over here. We're going out of here. We got to get away. Let's go rest. You guys need some rest. You guys are happy? Let's rest. That's what Jesus does. So if he needs to get his men away, how many of you? And so this is huge for us. Enjoy rest. Rest is a gift just like work is a gift. And it's a great balancing act. In six days you do your work and the seventh you rest. Okay? Everyone got that one? All right, next one. Here's a big one. Be diligent in what you do. And this is broad, broad, broad. But here's what, here's what the Proverbs say. Go to the ant, slug. I love that. It's kind of ironic, right? Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Watch the ant. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares bread. The ant doesn't have this like, you know, this is not like the Bugs Life movie where they're like telling them what to do with megaphones. The ant just does what they're supposed to do. 
They know what they're supposed to do, and they do it. Have you ever watched it? Some you know, you kicked over the ant thing, and you watched it, right? Everyone's guilty of that. But look what they do. They just work. No one tells them what to do. As, as a believer, what being diligent means is that people don't, you shouldn't wear the tag, works well under supervision. That shouldn't be us. It should be works well, right? Diligent work means you do it, and it doesn't matter who sees you. That's diligence, right? And there's a lot of other things. Here, let me just give you some, some practical. To be diligent at your work, figure out when you are most productive and utilize those times. Some of you are your night owls. You're the nine to one in the morning person. I don't understand you guys, but that's where you are. Then work then. You'll do more. If you're more effective then, then do that. If you're like me, you're a 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. guy, then work, spend your time there. Be wise in when you are most effective. Don't try to multitask and do 65 things at once. You think you're doing well, you're not, because you're not made to be able to do multi, you know, women can do like a couple things more than men. Men, you can do one thing, one. And even that is difficult for you sometimes, but you can do one thing. So do one thing. Stay away from the people that are time kind of stealers. You know the guy? Like he takes 45 minutes to tell you one story. If you're an employer, don't throw useless meetings. How many of you sat in, have sat in useless meetings? You're like, why am I here? Yeah, all of you. Okay, good. I was a PE teacher. They would have me come into the how to teach reading to students meetings. I'm like, dodgeball requires no reading, just screaming and ducking. That's all we require here. I don't need to be at this meeting. I could be filling up the dodgeballs right now. So don't waste people's time, right? Make your meetings quick if you're a leader, efficient, get to the point. If you're a boss, pay your, pay your employees well, right? Pay them what they deserve. Treat them with respect. A diligence. Don't let them work seven days a week. Don't let them. True at Kathy, great model for us. It's depressing. None of us can get a cookies and cream ice cream on the way home from church, but it's good for his employees. They have a day off. You should, these are diligent. These are ways to be diligent. If you don't understand something, ask questions. I don't understand this. Can you help me? Look, observe people who are good at their work and then follow them. Young people, you want to see somebody that's good at something? Can you teach me how you did that? Right? Can you, can you show me? It, it's diligence, right? Um, there's it's all sorts of things. Don't steal from your employer. The average American spends 1.5 hours a week on Facebook at work, all right, stealing from their employees. Now, I realize that some of you want to know which Wizard of Oz character you are best representing, and you want to take that quiz. I get it. I want to know too, but do it at home. Right? What, here, here's what we want. I told you earlier, we got a 900, 1,000 folks going to work, like little ants everywhere. You don't even have to open your mouth and you are an awesome testimony. We want folks to say, Christians are awesome workers. I want to work for a Christian. He's a great boss. I want to have them come to me. They show up on time. They don't complain. They're not stealing pencils. They're not watching YouTube videos with kittens. They just they treat my customers with respect. When they mess up, they own it. They, 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 don't, they don't make excuses because the slogan makes excuses. They just, they're great. I want, I want them to work for me. So that's the desire of God. That's why it can be fulfilling. Right? You're just doing excellence. You're doing great work. And you say, well, I don't like my job. I'm not in the dream job. A couple things about that. Number one, the dream job ultimately is a myth. I mean, you can have a great, fulfilling job, a job you've wanted, a job you, you dreamed of, but it, it's still going to be work because it's the fault. 
right? It's still going to be hard at times. So there's no job that's, you know, that's perfect. But if you're not in the job that's perfect that you want, then you keep doing what God has put you at until he opens that door. Because he's got great things for you there. He's teaching you how to work. He's teaching there's people's lives you're impacting. You're making a difference over here. You may not see it. He's got awesome things to teach you. When I worked at... I worked at a steel mill for two summers. You know, the greatest lesson I learned is that I didn't want to work in a steel mill. That's a great lesson. You learn what you're good at. You learn what you're not good at. You learn where there's a little bit of a challenge. And I, there's all sorts of things you can learn. I mean, the Lord Jesus, for 25 years, worked as a carpenter. That wasn't probably his dream job. But I can tell you what, if I could get my hands on one of the tables he made, I would. Because it'd be a rock star table. I bet we could put the whole church on that thing and dance and it won't break. Because he did excellence. That's what we're talking about. I know you may not love your job. Four to five of you don't. But if God's put you there, he's got you there for a reason. And it's good. It's a gift. All right? Here's the next thing. Let's understand what true success really is. Because it can't be what the culture says. It can't be getting the most money, getting the biggest house, getting the most power. If that's the case, then Jesus' life and ministry was a failure. Because he had no money, he had very little influence at the time, and he only had like 12 guys following him. And one of them betrayed him. So that cannot be the standard for success. So what is? What, it, what are we looking for? Here, very simply, here's what, here's what we're looking for. That you would be faithful where God has you. Faithfulness. Just be faithful where God has put you with how he's gifted you. We are not, we are all created of equal value, but we are not all created equal, okay? I can work as hard, as hard as I want, and I can put in 12 hours a day and lift weights. I will never be able to dunk a basketball because five foot six white people don't dunk. They just don't, all right? Now, I can dunk on a seven foot net, but that don't count. I'm never, I wasn't created that way. Michael Jordan was. That's fine. Understand where you've been called. Paul tells the Corinthians, hey, wherever you were led, where the Lord assigned you, just live there. We're not equally talented. We're not equal. That's okay. You do what God has given you, and you just be faithful. That is success. And, and success, here's a big thing for us in the church. Success is not working for the church. We have everyone, oh, I want to go work for the church. I want to be in the ministry. Very few of you should actually be in full-time vocational ministry. Very, very few. Because we want you out there. We want the ants going out. We don't want you coming in here. We love you, but we don't want you coming here. Very few of us here. This is not varsity and y'all are JV. You got to understand that. You're all varsity. In God's eyes, the six-year-old doing dishes for her mama and the CEO of, of Lifeway are equal. Because that's where God's put them. So don't you dare let someone tell you, oh, well, you're just in middle management. You'll never make six figures. If that's where God's put you, then you rock it out. If, you, if you're the stay-at-home mom with the, with the master's degree, don't let the world say, well, you, you are wasting your master's degree. You have all this great talent. No, you are building into future leaders and followers of Christ. That is huge. Don't let the world tell you what's valuable. You're the bench-sitting person on the team, never starting, never in the game. Don't let the, the world tell you that you're not valuable. You are because God has put you there. That's where he's assigned you. That's success, just living faithfully where you're at. Isn't that freeing? You don't have to compare yourself to others. You don't have to be worried about this. This is where all the stress and anxiety and, and, and dissatisfaction comes because I'm never gonna with you. You don't have to. Just live faithfully where God has you, and that's great. It's all he is, wants you to do, right? 
You don't have to go out and, and be Billy Graham or, or be someone that goes to Indonesia unless he calls you to. It's freeing. And then it also teaches us not to look down on people because they're not where we are because then we drift into pride, right? Just to understand what success is, just faithfulness where you're at and leave the results to God. He's got them, right? Here's the last one. Oh, wait, I forgot. This is, this is a big point here. And I don't want to skip it because it's huge. You know the first person in all the Bible, by the way, who was called someone who was filled with the Spirit, right? A Spirit-filled person. It wasn't a pastor. It wasn't a preacher. It was an artist. An artist. So all you scad guys are like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. An artist was the first Spirit-filled person. His name was Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. God says, I filled him with the Spirit, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge, with craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold. Here's a guy, God fills him with the spirit so that he can make the Ark of the Covenant, so he can design it with his hands. See the value God puts on just a spirit-filled person at a place of work? It's huge. You're, you're the ants of God going out, representing him, reflecting him. And here's the last one. Is, is just work for the right purposes. There's a couple, you know, kind of sub-purposes here that you need to understand. First one's easy. It's provision. You work to provide for your family, right? In fact, the proverb says this. Whoever works with his, his land will have plenty of bread. You work to get bread. That's simple. He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. The Hebrew there for worthless pursuits is Xbox. That's what it is. Do you realize the, again, I did a lot of reading on, on work this week. The average video gamer, you know how old he or she is? 31 years old. 52% of gamers are men. 48 are women. That was a shock to me. The average gamer spends 22 plus hours a week playing video games in a virtual world. I could say a lot about that, but I am in a good mood and I want to stay that way. So I'm going to move on here, right? But it's just silly, isn't it? Right? Provision. That there's, God gives us work to provide. In fact, there's a church in the New Testament called the Thessalonica Church. They have a real hard time with work. In fact, they think they're real spiritual because they think, well, if Jesus is coming back super soon, let's just not work and let's just chill out and hang out until Jesus comes back. Doesn't that sound great? That sounds spiritual. And Paul says, that's, no, that's dumb. He says, I want you to work with your hands. He tells them in 1 Thessalonians, apparently they didn't start working. So in 2 Thessalonians, he gets a little harder on him. He says, okay. If you don't work, you don't eat. Again, it's not those who are unable to work. It's those who refuse to work. He says, you're not going to work, then we're not going to feed you. Because it's a, it's a, the goal is provision. And not just provision for you. Because so, some of you are like, good, I work for 10 hours a week. I pay my cell phone bill, and I pay for my surfboard, and that's all I do. That, no, you work not only to provide for you. Remember, you were created to work to be a blessing for others that you do stuff to make the, the world better. Again, why are there hospitals? Why is there the Red Cross? Why are there all these ministries that reach out to the poor and all these things? They're Christian. They were started by Christians, that we are supposed to bless others. And you don't just do it financially. I mean, you might have a couch that that guy needs in, in your garage until you give it to them. That's one way. But you have time and you have ability. We have a lady, I'm not going to mention her name because many of you know her. She will come over and she will take our kids, the youngest two, from my wife every couple of weeks so that Sarah can just go out and do it. It's just her way of, of working and serving and, and giving herself to other people. Be a blessing. 
right? And that sounds kind of Christianese, but you are created to do something to make things better. So whatever you have that you can make things better, go do it. Maybe it's time. Maybe it is financial. But that's, you're not created to sit there and turn in on yourself and, and feed your cravings. You're, you're created to do something. You're a young guy in your neighborhood, and there's an older lady in the neighborhood, and her grass is getting long, and it's 9,000 degrees out. Go cut her lawn for her. You sweat so that she doesn't have to pay someone $50 to or go do it herself. That's, that's being a blessing, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. So provision, not just for you, but for others, right? There's another aspect here is that Paul tells the Thessalonians again, he says, work with your hands as we instructed so that you may walk properly before outsiders. One of the greatest testimonies the church has is not some four spiritual laws. The greatest testimony the church has is how they go to work on Monday. And there's nothing worse than a a person who's got 64 verses around their computer screen and a fish everywhere and they use Christian language and they are slack, and they are grumpy, and they are miserable at work, and they're always complaining. That, that is the worst, right? That, that, he says, walk properly. This is a great way for you to show how great God is. He's given you work. It is a great way to do it. And then the final thing is, is really is worship, and we, we talk about this a lot, that whatever you do, changing diapers, building airplanes, studying to be a PA, um, you know, doing math problems, studying chemistry, whatever you do, cutting grass, playing baseball, whatever you do, work heartily. For who? For the Lord. I love the last line. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, you could be retired. You are serving the Lord Christ in the things you do. Everything you do is a service to him, and that gives it value. So it's ultimately for him. It's not for this boss and this boss may be a Christian, this boss may be a jerk. And so you're going above, I am serving the Lord. That gives every single person value. That's where the value of work is. It is actually worship. The Hebrew word for work in Genesis 2 it literally is, can be translated worship. The word avadah, it's translated either work or worship. It has always been worship, that you are elevating Christ wherever you're at by how you do it. It's worship. It's so much bigger than just getting my paycheck. Buying the car. I was with the boys yesterday, and um, we were in the car, and my, one of my kids says, it was asking me about modern-day knights. And I was like, oh, that's, you know. So we're talking about knights, and I'm like, well, they don't have knights like they did in, like, you know, with the thing on the head and the joust, but they do have knights. Like, the queen can say, you're a knight now, and now they call him sir. So, and somehow we went from knights to Alec Guinness, who is Obi-Wan Kenobi, by the way, and he's a knight, Sir Alec Guinness, and we're talking, I don't know, this is the Fowler boys in the car on the way to the pool, so I don't know how it gets there, and so then we go from Obi-Wan Kenobi to, and this is going to show some of your age, the movie The Bridge to the River Kwai, all right, so great movie, I know most of you never heard of it, won like eight Academy Awards, 1957, Obi-Wan Kenobi is actually the star, and here's why, here's why this all came up. Me and my, my oldest son, Samuel, we're talking about because we've both seen it, and it's a war movie. Well, Alec Guinness is this colonel. He's a POW from, uh, of the Japanese army, and he is in charge. He is basically treated as a slave, and he's supposed to build this bridge over the river, Kwai, for the Japanese so they can put a train over it and stuff. And all his men want to kind of sabotage it. And he leads his men to say, no, we are going to build the best bridge these people have ever seen because we're going to show them how great 
Great Britain is. We're going to show them that we have pride and there's something bigger here and that England is superior to them. And it's this whole movie on how they just do excellent job on this bridge because they want to show that they're working for something greater. And then in the end, they blow it up anyway, but it doesn't matter. So, okay. But the point is this. He is working for something greater. He is, he's, he's a POW with nothing to live for except for the motherland. And what I just want our church to be is a, a, a group of people that tomorrow morning, you wake up, you go get your coffee, you, you ride into work with a smile, or maybe you're at home, you wake up and you got all these chores to do with a smile on your face. God has put me here. Thank you, God, for putting me here. I want to do my best until you put me somewhere else. That speaks huge volumes to a world where four out of five of them are miserable at work when most of them are stressed beyond belief, and, they, and, they, and they're just trying to get out of it. How much more are the joyful people of God understanding that there's an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you by God himself. That's where we want to be, y'all. That, that gives so much value to what we do, wherever you are. So don't be discouraged. Don't be down. You have value, and what you do has value in the eyes of a great and mighty God, because he has put you there. Didn't tell you any, everything about work there is. Here's, here's two quick resources, and we'll worship. Two quick resources. This is a little bit deeper one, but it really deals with a lot of the, the big picture issues of work. This is a little bit simpler. I actually went to high school with this guy. He was my pitcher. I pitched a no-hitter one time. Um, that's so random. I don't even know why I said that, but it's a real simplistic book. Um, it kind of covers all the gamut, like retirement, being an employee, being an employer. These are just great resources for you if you want to go a little deeper, a little study a little bit more, um, and they'll be on the website. Um, but just always want to give you guys a little bit of opportunity if you want to go deeper in that. Let's worship a God who has created us to do good, to be a blessing, uh, to do things for his name's sake. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. Father, thank you for good gifts. Thank you for a model in Christ, our Savior. I pray that it's, it's hard sometimes waking up on Monday morning. It's hard going to a place where we're not appreciated, where no one knows what we do, but you know. And for someone who's discouraged in their place of work, or they don't have a job, or, or they just don't know what's next, Lord, I just ask that you would Show them their value because of what Christ has done and what he is doing. Just take your name to the workplace just by excellent work, by excellent students, by excellent soldiers, by excellent policemen, by excellent teachers, by excellent engineers. Um, we pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior, who loves us and gave himself for us. In his name we pray.